Good morning. There is an old Bob Dylan song called You've Gotta Serve Somebody. The lyrics go, you may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Wise words. And as we saw last week, as we started the new series, No Other Gods, you have to serve somebody. It's inescapable. In Exodus 20, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, there is no neutrality when it comes to man and worship. Man is a worshiping creature, and everything he does is an act of worship. The only question is worship of which God? And in America today, with all the chaos caused by the idolatry that we see all around us, more and more people are actually waking up to the fact, this fact, about reality. I recently heard Russell Brand not a, not a Christian, a celebrity, say something very interesting online. Take a listen. When it says in the Old Testament, worship no other gods than me, the implication I offer is that we are a species that worships, and if you do not access the divine, you will worship the mundial, you will worship the profane, you will worship your own identity, you will worship your belongings, you will worship the template laid before you by a culture that wants you... No, wants you, but gets you distracted and relatively dumb. What's he saying? Well, he's saying what God is saying. Man is a worshiping creature. And as we saw last week, America was at one time a Christian nation. But things changed. There were powerful people, people in culture and politics, who rejected Christ in their own life, who didn't like Christ's rule in the culture. And they sought to de-Christianize America, the people, the culture, and the laws. But what followed was not neutrality. What followed was not freedom. What followed was just the return of the old gods. Every society has their gods. There's always a spirit of the age. In America, what are the chief rivals to Christ today? They are selfie and the beast. These are the two false gods that Americans are turning after and that are being held out to Christians as temptations to have before the Lord. We're going to look at each one today. We'll start with selfie. What exactly is selfie worship? Well, we have a lot of names for it. Self-exaltation, narcissism, egotism. If you're kind of philosophical, you may call it relativism or expressive individualism. But here's the deal. At its core, selfie worship is just self-worship. Doing what I want. Worshiping my will. And it's as old as man. There are things deep down inside every one of us that make it easy to worship ourselves. And if we don't put selfie to death as Christians, it's just, it's just going to unleash disorder and chaos in our lives. Just like it's unleashing disorder and chaos in our society. And as we saw last week, selfie is one of the two gods that God gives man over to when we reject him and worship idols. We read this passage last week. I'd like to read it again from Romans Romans chapter 1. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings. Mortal human beings, ourselves, and birds and animals and reptiles, beasts. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for lie, and they worshipped and they served created things rather than the Creator 
This is an old idolatry, selfie worship. You recall that Eve was tempted by Satan. You could be just like God, knowing good and evil for yourself. Just do what you want. You may recall the story of the Tower of Babel. Remember the men who decided they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted their own glory. They wanted to be famous, and so they were going to build a tower to the heavens. Who were they worshiping at the Tower of Babel? Then there was the people of Israel. You think about the book of Judges and just the chaos, the civil war, the violence, just the depravity and wickedness that you see, particularly at the last several chapters of the book of Judges. And it's interesting that the writer of the book of Judges says something three times to really drive it home. He says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This was at the heart of the chaos that was unleashed amongst God's people, God's people at that time. In the New Testament, Paul warns us against this kind of idolatry. He says, put to death, therefore, every earthly thing in you, sexual morality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Why is that idolatry? Who are we worshiping when we do those things? We're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping our lusts. And so in 2 Timothy, Paul warns his apprentice, but understand this, Timothy, then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Oh, yeah. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Does this not describe the spirit of our age? And, God, and Selfie has a gospel that they proclaim, just, just like the Lord Jesus has a gospel. Selfie has a gospel that, that he proclaims. And this is it. Blessed is the one who does what they want, when they want, where they want, with who they want, for as much as they want, for as long as they want. The only sin is intolerance. Isn't that the spirit of our age? And this is what's preached everywhere today, all around our culture. Celebrities talk about it and proclaim the gospel of selfie. People like Emma Watson. Here's a recent quote. Don't let anyone tell you what you can and can't do or achieve. Do what you want to do and be who you want to be. Or Billie Eilish, I've always done whatever I want, and I've always been exactly who I want to be. This is the gospel of selfie that is preached far and wide today, and it leads to destruction. God tells us over and over again, listen to what the Lord says. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. And what characterizes these people? Their God is their belly. They worship their passion. They worship their lusts. They worship their more base instincts, their desires. And it says they glory in their shame with a mind that is set on earthly things. Selfie says, worship your lusts. Do what feels good. Do what you think is right. Don't let anyone or anything stand in your way. So is it any wonder today that as the increase of selfie worship goes on, that we see an increase in drug addiction, public intoxication, the deregulation of public morality, and the decriminalization of drugs like marijuana and hallucinogenic drugs, and the celebration of sexual immorality all around us. Paul tells us that those who worship their belly, their lusts, themselves, that they glory in their shame. Rather than feeling shameful, shamed for their sin, and then turning to Christ to receive forgiveness, they celebrate it. And with new gods comes new holy days, holidays, or holy months now, like the month of June. 
which has been dedicated to the pride LGBTQ movement. But really what it is is just a bunch of folks who worship selfie. That's what that flag represents now. And it is hanging over businesses and schools and the White House. In warfare, flags represent conquered territory. And Selfie has staked his claim over all of those places. Now, something else that we see in our society is violence, looting, theft, civil breakdown, murder. That's all increasing. And that is all the result of people pursuing their own passions, their own lusts, what they want. They're worshiping Selfie too. Selfie's not a god of peace. Selfie's a god of war. Cross me, I'll hurt you. Cross me, I'll kill you. If I want your stuff, I'll take it. Why? Because I can. This is a deep adultery. It's a form of idolatry. And again, the Lord warns us against it in the scriptures. James, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. We see this every day. I don't need to put up the pictures of the growing violence, the crime, the looting, the riots. When you worship selfie, it leads to destruction. But when you worship Christ, he commands you not to steal, not to murder, not to commit adultery, sexual morality, not to covet other people's stuff. That's the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the tenth commandment that we saw last week. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's what the psalmist says. And as we obey the Lord, there is peace, there is unity, there is good order. Blessing flows out from God for those who worship the one true God. Now, if you were to compare selfie worship with Christian worship, what would it, what would it look like? Well, here's a comparison for you to help clarify the difference. What's the highest goal for those who worship selfie? The highest goal in life? Autonomy. Doing what I want. But for those who follow Christ, the highest goal is doxology, glorifying God. And what's the highest authority in life for those who worship selfie? Me, my will, what I want to do, my desires, what I think is best. But for the Christian, the highest authority is God's word. And how do you sin against selfie? Intolerance of my ways. Telling me what I'm doing is wrong. That's the only sin when you worship selfie. But sin in the Bible is very different. Sin in the Bible is disobedience to God. Now, if you'd like to know more differences between those who worship selfie and those who worship Christ, if you want to better understand this particular form of idolatry, which is taking captive so many people in our culture, if you want to be able to answer the objections that people give to Christianity and help people understand how they can be free, from this particular form of idolatry. And I want to encourage you to take the course, The Problem with Christianity. This is a course we created a couple years ago. We had a whole bunch of students in our student ministry and their parents go through it. It was a lot of help to them. It's online. You can go at your own pace. It's all free. There are resources for you to do discussions at home so that you can better train your kids to avoid this kind of idolatry and just better understand the world that you're living in and how you can be a witness and a light uh, in, our, in our time. If you're interested in that course, The Problem with Christianity, then just let us know on the digital connection card and we'll send you more information. Now, selfie worship is everywhere. It's being taught in most institutions, but especially the schools, from kindergarten to college. Because if you control education, you're controlling the discipleship. 
Really, it's the discipleship of the next generation. You're teaching people what's true about God and about this world and what's true about them, what they should believe, what's right and wrong. This is how you disciple the future generations. This is how you get a hold of them and turn them after other gods by controlling schools. And so what you find when you look at the school systems nowadays is that oftentimes what they're really doing is they're teaching kids to never blaspheme and never cross and never disrespect selfie. I want you to watch this short video from the University of Washington. Here's a guy interviewing students, and he says, Hey, if I say that I'm a 6'5 Chinese woman, am I wrong? And watch how people bend over backwards to not offend. If I told you I'm 6 feet 5 inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six if you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a 6'5 Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? Why is it so hard for people to tell him that he's not a 6'5 Chinese woman? Because they don't want to blaspheme the God of the system. They know who's in charge on college campuses. And it's not the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not freedom of speech. It's not freedom of conscience. It's not open inquiry. It is selfie. And you do not blaspheme selfie. And for them to tell him that he was wrong would mean that they were intolerant. And that's the only sin in that religion. And they know, don't blaspheme selfie or you'll get the wrath of his followers. And so they're careful to limit what they say. And actually what's happening is they're bearing false witness. They're saying things they know aren't true because they're afraid of what will happen if they speak the truth. They're disobeying the commands of the Lord to not bear false witness against your neighbor because they fear a different God. You see how that works? The God of that college is selfie. Now, the dividing line in all of this is really between those who want to be God and those who want to worship God, between those who know they're a creature and love it and those who deny their creaturely station and rebel against it. And this brings us to our second major stronghold. Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians 10, where it talks about how the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they're mighty before God the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. We tear down the strongholds that keep us enslaved in fear and in ignorance. And as uh, Christians in our culture growing up in America as we have, there are strongholds, things that we think that are just not true. They can make it very easy for us to get pushed around and to get led off into worshiping other gods. One of the strongholds that we need to tear down, stronghold number two, is the myth of autonomy. And you hear this a lot. People talk about, I have free will and I should be free to do what I want and I shouldn't be imposed on by other people. Or you hear people say things like, 
What does it matter what I do? Mind your own business. What I do doesn't hurt you. Back off. You know, leave me alone. Let, let me do what I want. And there's this idea that that I'm autonomous, completely separate from everybody else. And the choices that I make doesn't affect anybody else. But that's there's just one problem with that. The God who is there. God has many things, but one of his titles is the judge of the living and the dead. And God cares very much about your conduct. And God holds families, churches, cities, nations accountable for the conduct of its citizens, of its congregants, of the family members. See, we live in covenant. We're not atoms. We're not autonomous. We're molecular. We're, co- we're tied together. And if a society just looks the other way or celebrates what's wicked and they don't hold it back, they don't deal with it, they don't punish it, well, the Lord is left to judge. Consider Sodom and Gomorrah. Did the sin of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah have any effect on Lot's life? Or did they say, hey, Lot, shut up, don't worry about it, we're not bothering you? No. Their sin cost Lot his wife, and he ended up in a cave. What about Achan? He was an Israelite who stole treasure from God. He stole some of the first fruits from the Battle of Jericho from God. He hid the treasure under his tent. Now, couldn't he say, hey, don't worry about it. This is between me and God. It doesn't concern you. Stop asking questions. Mind your own business, okay? Autonomy. Well, the Israelites went to war against a city called Ai, and they lost. They should have won. When they inquired of the Lord, why did you allow us to lose? The Lord said, because of Achan's sin. That one man's sin brought judgment on the whole nation. And there were Israelites who died in that battle because Achan and his sin. And when Achan finally confessed... He wasn't the only one to pay the price. His whole family suffered the judgment because of his sin. We're not atoms. We're molecular. We're molecules. We're connected to each other. And what about Nineveh, that great Assyrian city? You may recall that God sent Jonah to Nineveh to warn them to repent so that they would not face judgment. And Jonah didn't want to do it, but he did do it. And the thing is, is they repented. From the richest to the poorest, from the oldest to the youngest, they repented. And God spared the city of Nineveh. And, of course, Jonah was mad, and he was sitting up on a hill, and he was all upset because he wanted God to destroy the Assyrians. And the Lord said to Jonah, Jonah, there's 120,000 children in that city who don't know their right from their left, and you would have them die? You see, what if the people of Nineveh had not repented, if they had continued in their, in their wickedness? All those kids would have died, and a whole bunch of other people. You see, our choices, we are connected And God rules heaven and earth. The problem with the idea of autonomy is that it's not real. It's not how God really runs the universe. We have to recognize what God says about our relationships to each other. And so the sin that someone commits and the sins that are being celebrated in our society can bring down God's judgment, and that can have effects on us. Number two, a lot of people will say, because I'm autonomous, I'm free. I have free will. I I should be able to do what I want to do. God gives every man free will, doesn't he? But I would just ask you, free to do what? I mean... Are you free to fly like a bird? Right? You have free will, so just go ahead and fly like a bird. Wait, you can't? Why not? Oh, because you're not a bird. And therefore, you don't have that kind of freedom. That's right. You see, your freedom is tied to the kind of thing you are. Our freedom is limited by the kinds of things we are. Our nature limits our freedom. So the question is, what is man's nature? If you want to know how free we are, or what kind of freedom we have then you need to know what kind of thing we are, what kind of nature we have. Fish are free to swim, or swim. Birds are free to fly because of their nature. What's man's nature? Well, there's many things to know about man. 
But one of the most important things to know about man is he's a slave to sin. Man is a slave to sin. And what that means is that man is not free to do whatever he wants, but actually, on the contrary, he is bound hand and foot to sinful impulses and desires. Here's what Paul says. We know that the law is spiritual, and I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Paul is saying, I am a slave to sin. All of us in Adam died. All of us in Adam sinned. And all of us in Adam have been bound to sin. And what's more, the Bible is even more sober in its assessment of man's nature. It says in the scriptures that man is born debased, hardened, blinded, darkened, deluded, deceived, depraved, corrupted, defiled, dead. This is why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can save us, heal us, break the chains of slavery. Even prophets of selfie like Rousseau, that famous French philosopher, the father of totalitarians, a man who abandoned his children to pursue his sexual lust. Rousseau said, famously, man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. Now, of course, the chains he was talking about was the kind of sexual morality of his society that he hated. Bourgeois culture, Christian morality. And he wanted to break free from the shackles of traditional morality so he could chase after his lusts. And that begs the question, how would you do it? If you wanted to change a culture and you want to change the society, change its morality, change the rules so that you could pursue your lust, who has that kind of power? Who could make that happen? The answer is the state. And that brings us to our second god of the age, and that is the beast. The beast. Now, I'll start by saying that government is a good thing. God created it, and it's supposed to restrain evil in our world. Libertarianism, anarchy, violent revolutions, these are not Christian ideas. And God created civil government. He states, states that plainly in the scriptures. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That's pretty clear. He goes on to say, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the ruler does not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, two times, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So what is God telling us about government? God is telling us that government is a delegated authority. It's a real authority, but it's a delegated authority. Government's authority comes from God. They are his servants. He's diakonos. And they are supposed to carry out the function that God created them for. And that function is to punish the wicked and reward the good. They don't have the authority to define evil and good. They don't have the authority to define justice and injustice differently than God. That's not the authority that they have. Their authority is to enforce justice, not to define justice. Now, God also calls governments beasts. Why? Because they're big and strong and powerful and they can harm you and they're dangerous and they're scary. He often calls powerful empires, rulers and states, beasts in the scriptures. Like in the book of Daniel, when God shows him a vision of four powerful empires in the world, he calls them beasts. Daniel said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. That's the world that was being stirred up. And out of the world, out of the nations, four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked and its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, 
A second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. He goes on to describe two more beasts that God shows him. Two more kingdoms of this earth. Powerful civil governments. We see this also in the book of Revelation. God describes powerful civil governments, powerful empires, powerful individuals as beasts. Revelation says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and a blasphemous name on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet was like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. This is a terrifying image of an all-powerful state that cannot be resisted, that cannot be stopped, that's dangerous, has power of life and death. And this is why man worships. Oftentimes, man, mankind worships the beast. In Revelation, it says, And they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? Why do they worship the beast? Fear of the state. Fear of its power over life and death. They worship the beast because the state makes similar promises as God. The gospel of an all-powerful state is this. The gospel of the beast. Blessed is the one who trusts and obeys the state. They will receive provision and protection and purpose and power. The only sin is disloyalty. Provision, protection, purpose, power. Those are things that God promises us if we walk in faith with him. And the powerful state makes similar promises. But these are false promises. And of course, the only sin is disloyalty, not disobedience. Because there are many in the powerful state who disobey the laws, break the laws, do all sorts of wicked things, but they're not punished. No, 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 no. They get away with it. They're exempted from the rules that they create for others because they are loyal to the beast. You see, when the government recognizes they're a servant of God, they stay in their limits and they can be a blessing to the people. But when the government does not recognize any authority above itself, the government sees itself as God. And this often leads to the beast persecuting the Lord's people, as we've seen throughout history. Again, in Revelation, John sees something terrifying. He says, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who had borne the testimony of Jesus, the martyred Christians. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides. Here we have a woman riding the back of the beast over the church, drinking the blood of the church. Who is this woman? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is that woman. It is the apostate Jews who rejected Christ and their leaders who crucified him. And they're riding the back of Rome. Jerusalem is riding the back of Rome to crush the first century church. Who handed Jesus over to Pilate? The Roman. It was the Jewish leaders. Who chased Paul around the Mediterranean and tried to crush the early church and hand him over to the Romans? It was the Judaizers. It was the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. The temple. Often in history, we see the beast and its power being manipulated and used almost like a rider riding the back of the beast to crush someone's enemies. And who is riding the back of the beast today? Selfie. Selfie is right in the back of the beast for now. You see, when you want to mutilate yourself, when you want to remake yourself, 
when you want to declare yourself a different gender or a different sexuality, when you want to change your name, and you want the schools to recognize it, and you want the schools to promote it, and you want the schools to allow men dressed as women to come dance in front of children, that's full-blown selfie worship. And guess what? Chino School District, Temecula School District, they say no. That's perverted. That's wrong. You cannot steal our children's innocence. Not a chance. Not my little girl. And when those local jurisdictions and those people reject this in-your-face selfie worship coming after their kids, who protects the selfie worshipers? Who defends the selfie worshipers and jams their worship down the throats of the parents in Chino and the parents in Temecula and the parents in California? Who? The beast. The state. The state demands that these things be taught in the schools. And they try to stop local school districts from blocking this kind of disgusting display, this selfie worship on steroids. And so selfie rides the back of the beast to impose, impose their religious worship in the schools. And so now in California, they're talking about taking away parents' rights, saying that parents are child abusers if they don't support their kids transitioning. If they don't want to participate in this cult that their child has been captured by, if they want to save their child before they mutilate themselves in a way that they can never recover from, those parents may lose their kids. And who's taking them? The state. And on whose behalf? Who are they defending? Whose worldview? Whose religion? Whose God? Selfie worshipers. For now. When you worship yourself, you get addicted. When you live a life of passion, you, you're like the prodigal son who ended up in the, the, the pigsty, addicted, alone, unproductive, and poor. That's what happens. And when you find yourself in that low place, who is going to save you? Who is going to fund your lifestyle? Who's going to take care of you so that you don't have to repent of your sin, but that you can continue to live that way? Who's going to fund it? The state. And now congressmen and senators all over the country are beginning to talk about a universal basic income where the state guarantees you money for food, guarantees you money for housing, guarantees you money for health care. Of course, this is not money that they themselves are paying out of their own paychecks. This is money that they will confiscate from other citizens, stealing from one person to pay these people. And why? Because that makes those people docile. It makes them dependent. It makes them slaves to the state. And no doubt in time, the state will continue to deregulate, decriminalize drugs, decriminalize sex like pornography, so that it's easier and easier to keep young men docile. You see, eventually, as the state grows in power and expands its jurisdiction, even selfie gets devoured. Even selfie's liberty and selfie's blessed autonomy is taken. We've seen this throughout history. Because when you worship selfie, you get chaos in society. And that chaos can only be controlled and, and ordered by a state, a powerful state. When people worship their lust, they need someone to fund it. And that's where the state comes in with its promises. And so selfie worship leads to beast worship. And beast worship leads to tyranny. And we saw this throughout the 20th century and in the 19th century. We all know about Napoleon, the tyrant who took over France. There was no liberty. There was no autonomy. There was no selfie worship in Napoleonic France. We all know about Stalin and the Soviet Union and how they crushed the church and they crushed freedom and there was, there was no, uh, you know, liberty in that society. No, it's no autonomy. But what most people don't know is that in both those societies, France before the revolution and Russia before the revolution, that there was a massive sexual revolution that ha- happened in that society. There was an outbreak of selfie worship in pre-revolutionary France 
and pre-revolutionary Russia. Free love, exchanging of partners, a lot of venereal disease, a lot of drug abuse, alcoholism, and there was a breakdown in society. It, it unleashed kind of a chaos in that society, and that spread to the politics. And what they got was Robespierre and the terror, and then Napoleon and the tyranny. What they got was the Civil War and Lenin, and then Lenin gave way to Stalin, and they lost all their liberty. And so even in the end, as Selfie rides the back of the beast, the beast even devours Selfie. And the question is, if this idolatry is the sickness, what is the cure? It's interesting, there was a similar outbreak of idolatry in England as there was in France in the 1700s. The sexual revolution they called libertinism in England looked like it was going to destabilize and destroy the country. But God was merciful. He poured out his spirit in England in a great revival, a great awakening. Men like George Whitfield and John Wesley preached up and down the British Isles, and millions of people came to Christ. God was merciful. He granted them repentance, and they came to the Lord, and the church was set on fire. And the thing is, as the church grew in its passion and its faithfulness to the Lord Jesus, that fire spread, and it spread, and God granted the nation repentance like Nineveh. And there was not just salvation for individuals in England, but also a reformation of the culture and the laws. Rather than descending into the tyranny of the French Revolution, the British had what they called a golden age under the reign of Queen Victoria. The repentance brought about political changes like the abolition of slavery. Men like William Wilberforce who fought and succeeded at ending that wicked institution. But all of this reformation and all of this repentance started in the church. God did something similar here in the United States in the 70s. You recall the 60s was a time of sex, drugs, rock and roll, the sexual revolution, do what you want, basically selfie worship. And then the disease and the death and the drug addiction of the 70s. And in the wreckage of selfie worship, the Holy Spirit was poured out and lots of people got saved. We call it the Jesus revolution. God held back the chaos. We can't make the fire fall from heaven. We can't manufacture revival. But we can prepare the sacrifice. Our lives are to be a living sacrifice. And as we catch fire for the Lord, growing in holiness and faith, he may cause the fire to spread. But it starts in our lives, in our homes, in our churches. And then maybe God will spread it out further. So what are the next steps we can take? How do we put selfie to death so that we can be the kinds of people who can show the world how? I want to recommend some next steps to you. How to put death to selfie. Colossians. Again, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What is it the Lord is saying? You have to put selfie to death. Death to selfie. Carry your cross and put it to death. And here's how you do it. You yield all your life to Christ first. You grow in putting others first. And you testify to the truth. So let's talk about yielding all your life to Christ. That means there's no compartmentalization. There's no carve-outs. There's no special part of your life where you're Lord and Jesus is not. It means that you're honest about your sins. You don't hide them anymore. And you confess them to God so that you can be healed. And... It means that you're honest to God about your desires, the desires of your heart. You don't hide it from him. 
James says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Don't try to hide from God your goals, your dreams, your plans, your desires. Christians often do because they're afraid that God will say no. Who are we worshiping in that situation? But just be honest with God and submit the things you want to him for his blessing. Ask him for them. Ask him for his blessing. Tell the Lord your goals and desires and the purposes and ask him to give them to you in his time in the way that he thinks is best. Ask him for what you need. And then, if it's right before God, work for it lawfully according to his commands. This is how you yield all of your life to Christ. And then you've got to grow in putting others first. Now, putting others first, it seems like a very theoretical thing. You know, it's an individual thing. No, no, no. It happens in the context of families. It, it happens in the context of households. That's where you learn to put other people first. And that's where you learn to put selfie to death. I want to encourage you to read the household codes in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. We're all a part of the household of God. God is our father if you're a follower of Jesus, and we are brothers and sisters. And in the household of God, God gives each of us roles and responsibilities. And these force us to put ourselves to death, to put ourselves second, to put others first, to work for their benefit, and to trust God. I want to give you some summaries from Ephesians 5 and 6. Very practical things you can do in the roles that God has given you. And as you do these things in faith, the question that's going to come into your mind is, who's taking care of me? You see? That's putting selfie to death because when you're doing what's right before God and you're worried about your self-interest, but you keep obeying God, that's faith. You're saying, God, you're going to take care of me. You're not going to rip me off. I can trust you. I will submit my desires and my will and my plans and my interests to what you say because you are my God and I am not. So here it is. Here's how you put others first practically in the household of God. In your marriages, husbands, love your wives. And sacrifice for them. Teach your kids how to worship the Lord in everything. Take hold of your responsibilities. Pour yourself out for your wife and kids. Protect, provide, and preside over your homes for the blessing of your whole family. And if you don't know how, get coaching. Wives, obey your husbands and respect them. Help them with the assigned tasks the Lord has given them in ways that your husbands are asking for. Pour yourself out for your family and your household. And when you lay dead at night, in your bed exhausted, God will raise you back up tomorrow, just like he raised Jesus up on the third day. He'll restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You pour it out, God raises it up. That's how the harvest grows. Children, love your brothers and sisters. Put them first. God gave you brothers and sisters to sanctify you, cleanse you from selfishness and pride and to grow love, loyalty, and patience in you. And Christians, we are all brothers and sisters in the household of God, all of us. And as our spiritual and brothers and sisters have needs, we are to put them before ourselves. And many of you do this all the time, and it's very sanctifying and cleansing. Keep it up. Keep going. What time can you share? What money, what resources can you share? What attention and care can you give to your brothers and sisters in need? What hospitality can you offer without expecting repayment in God's household? Slaves, those under authority, obey your boss, obey your masters, obey your authorities, and serve honestly. Work hard even when nobody is watching because God promises to reward you for whatever good you do. And if you're a leader, don't be harsh. Don't be overbearing. Don't use your position for your own self-interest. But think to the needs of those who follow you. Serve them with your strength 
and lead them like Christ. And when I say all these things, you should ask the question, what about me? What about my interests? What about my desires? What about my glory? If I'm pouring myself out for everybody, who's pouring themselves out for me? And the answer is Christ. He poured out everything for you. He gave everything for you. So give everything to him. He loved you and he carried his cross and died. And God raised him back up. And as you in faith pour yourself out for your brothers and sisters and you die, so to speak, death to selfie, God will raise you up with blessing. And finally, testify to the truth. Paul lived in a society full of idols just like us, and it grieved him like it grieves us. Acts 17, 16 says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols, just like we see all around us today. So what did Paul do? He preached the truth, forthrightly, boldly, clearly, and so must we. He said, The time of ignorance is over. God has overlooked your ignorance no more. It's time to be done with that stuff. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Tell the people in your life, your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad, your neighbors, everybody, tell them about God, his love. Tell them what it takes to have a relationship with him. Tell them what God is like. Show them by your life and testimony. Tell them the gospel that Jesus is Lord, which means that there is unlimited forgiveness and grace and protection and provision and power available to all. Anyone can come. You just have to repent and turn to him. Receive his grace and forgiveness. There's eternal life in his hands. Tell people about the judgment of God that is certain for every single person, that Christ is that judge, but that he's offering mercy today. And if they ask you, how do you know this is true? How do you know it's true? Tell them, God has given them assurance by raising Jesus from the dead. That's how we know it's true. In this message, we've seen the two chief gods that rival Christ for loyalty in our hearts. The problem with selfie worship and the problem with beast worship is that it makes you a spiritual orphan without a loving Heavenly Father to direct you and protect you and provide for you. Christ is a better God. Christians are not better people. Jesus is a better God. And Christians are those who see this and have turned and believe it and repented of their idolatry and have come home to their Heavenly Father who's going to take good care of them. We have a Father who's capable of taking care of us. And that is what the world needs. That's who can save this planet. That's who we can proclaim to people when we tell everybody Jesus is Lord and he commands all men everywhere to have no other God before him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement it provides. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would apply to our hearts what we need and give us courage to share our faith. Amen.